Support for this program is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of Abismo, Farisimab SVOA. There's more to explore. Discover all the data at vabismo-hcp.com. That's V-A-B-Y-S-M-O-H-C-P.com. Welcome to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. My name is Dr. Priya Vicaria from Retina Vitreous Associates of Florida in Tampa, and I'm joined today by two guests. First, we have Dr. Shruti Arpali from the Emory Eye Center in Atlanta. Shruti, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, Priya. Thanks for having me. And second, I have Dr. Vaidehi Dadania from NYU Langone Health in New York City. Vaidehi, great to see you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. All right, so today we're discussing a paper titled The Cost-Effectiveness of Aflibercept Monotherapy versus Bevacizumab First, followed by Aflibercept if needed for diabetic macular edema. And uh, this was a DRCR Retina Network paper with David Hutton as the lead author, and this was published online in JAMA Ophthalmology in February 2023. This was a spinoff um, from the data from the protocol AC study, looking more at cost effectiveness of aflibercept monotherapy versus uh, bevacizumab monotherapy. And Shruti, do you mind summarizing this paper for us? Sure, of course. Um, so Priya, like you were saying, this is a paper that looks at the economical analysis of protocol AC that was published by the DRCR network. And for those of us who need a little refresher, because there's a lot of them, protocol AC was the one that demonstrated that there's no difference in visual acuity in eyes that presented with center-involving diabetic macular edema. And these eyes also had to have a starting visual acuity of 2050 or worse. And then what protocol AC did was it divided these patients into two groups. They were either treated with a flibercept monotherapy and stuck with that drug throughout the whole regimen, or they were started on bevacizumab, and then they had the option to later switch to flibercept if there's a suboptimal response. During this protocol, it was noted that about 70% of patients were ultimately switched to the flibercept arm. Um, but the overall ACE protocol AC showed that there was no significant difference in visual acuity. So now this Sutton paper is looking at the economical analysis or impact of this protocol. So a few uh, words on the methods in order to make this work. Um, they had pre-planned for this economical analysis to be done at the initiation of the protocol. Um, they used almost all the eyes that they used in protocol AC. There were a few left because they only used patients with one eye that were involved. Um, they were equally divided between a flibercept and bevacizumab. Uh, patients had to be 18 years or older, have center-involving DME, and have a visual acuity between 2050 and 2320. These patients were followed every four weeks for the first year, and then they were spaced out depending on their response. And then at week 12, if you were in the bevacizumab arm and you, they saw that there was suboptimal improvement, so there were certain parameters that they set at the very beginning, then they had the option of switching them over to a flibercept. And a big part of the study was looking at something called quality adjusted life years or qualities, and then also looking at the amount of money that it takes to obtain that. And that was represented in something called an incremental cost-effective ratio or ICER. And so when we looked at the breakdown of patients, what we found was 116 eyes were assigned to flibercept monotherapy and 112 to be bevacizumab group first. We saw that the average number of visits between the two groups were pretty similar, about 20. We saw that the patients with the flibercept injections received slightly less number of injections than the bevacizumab group, but not a huge difference. 
Um, and the big thing was the cost of therapy. So they saw that the patients with the Aflibercept monotherapy, um, the cost per participant for the two years was about 26.5,000 and compared that to the bevacizumab group um, that was ultimately switched over if they needed to be, that was only about 14,000. They also looked at this um, ISER versus quality ratio to see how patients um, do in terms of their quality of life. And there's a measurement that's in the literature that says if you have a ratio of ISER to quality of about 100,000, then it's cost effective. And what they showed in this paper is that if you're in the aflibercept monotherapy group, your ISER to quality ratio is something like $837,000, so significantly higher than what they expect for something to be cost effective. They also manipulated some of the numbers for this paper to see um, how they could change the price of flibercept or bevacizumab to reach this threshold that's determined to be cost-effective. And they said, in order to do that, you can either drop the price of a flibercept to less than about $300, or they can raise the price of bevacizumab to over $1,300. So the overall points that were brought up with this paper is that um, they're they're trying to show that there's an economic reason to start patients on bevacizumab first and then switch them later to a flibercept if they need it, and that it's a much more cost-effective method to do, um, and that the quality gains were favored for patients who were on um, a flibercept monotherapy in the first year, but these were very small, and the cost for maintaining these was very high. So ultimately, it made more sense to start with bevacizumab and switch over later. Fantastic summary, Shruti, on a very complicated topic. Um, so Vaidehi, I want to kind of throw this over to you. A lot of insurance um, companies are mandating step therapy and protocol AC is kind of showing that, you know, kind of mimicking step therapy, essentially starting with bevacizumab and then tiering to flibercept upon failed therapy. Now, how do you feel that this study influences your decisions? Does it make it more likely that you'll start with bevacizumab even if step therapy isn't in place? Or you know, how does this affect your treatment algorithm? Yeah, so currently the way that I, I or previously rather, the way I was treating patients is if their vision was um, better than 2040, I would start them on Avastin or bevacizumab. And if it was worse than like 2050 or worse, I would start them on a flibercept. And, you know, yeah, cost is the primary driver for step therapy. Um, it's really difficult to, for every single patient, get on the phone and do an appeal. And even when you do that, it, they, they don't accept it. And so um, generally, I think that what this shows is it provides us some comfort knowing that even if we have to do three bevacizumabs, we're not losing much by doing that. And we can explain that to the patient. I think sometimes the patients might get upset. You know, they read about um, aflibercept and some of these other medications that they want more than the bevacizumab. And so this is in a way to show them that this is what we have to do. Um, and, and it's challenging and I, you know, it may not be what you want, but there is data to support that if we start this way, also we're not compromising your vision. And I think that that's the other aspect of it because um, it seems like this might be here to stay. Um, well, thank you so much for a wonderful summary. We're going to go into break now, but I want to remind the audience that we're going to be back to talk further about this study uh, in a more in-depth fashion in just a few minutes. Support for this program is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of Abysmo, Farisimab SVOA. There's more to explore. Discover all the data at vibismo-hcp.com. That's V-A- 
B-Y-S-M-O-H-C-P.com. Welcome back to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. Shruti Arapali just summarized the economic analysis of the protocol AC study, but I would like to get into a longer discussion about this. You know, we use these medications all day, every day, and this really impacts our decisions. And so I kind of want to touch on a few points here. The first thing is, for Shruti, do you think payers are paying attention to this study and payers that maybe are not mandating step therapy now are going, going to start mandating step therapy? You know, do you think that... Um, this study is going to influence policy and should studies like this influence policy or should there be other factors that influence policy besides cost and vision? That's a great question. I think um, payers probably are paying attention to the study because we're under enormous stress in ophthalmology and retina itself to lower costs. And I think they're going to be looking for ways to cut costs wherever they can. Um, I do think that it's nice that the study shows that starting with a vaccine will give you equal visual outcomes, but there's a lot of unknowns and limitations that we'll probably get into. And so I don't think all policy policies should be based expressly on this paper. I think it takes away the art of medicine with physicians deciding what's best for their patients. Um, and also taking into consideration other social factors, like is a patient gonna follow up, how much of a response they're getting and how much they trust they're gonna get there with just bevacizumab versus another medication. You know, one of the things this study talked about was, you know, we, you talked about the 50% cost savings, but, you know, they commented that for every 10,000 new patients starting therapy for DME, there's going to be a cost savings of more than $125 million with a bevacizumab first versus a flibercept monotherapy treatment strategy. And that is huge. That, that, that difference is huge. But Vaidehi, we all know that this is using repackaged bevacizumab which the big question is how long is that still going to be available? You know, there's word of an possible FDA approved bevacizumab that may be coming out to the market. And how is that gonna change this? Yeah, so I, I think that um, payers are also paying attention to that. And those that have not already mandated step therapy, maybe having paused and saying, let's see what happens. Um, we don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot before we now mandate this um, because they don't know how it's going to turn out. And so um, I think that that's, that's an incredibly valid thought because we really don't know what the cost savings will be and um, how, how the medication usage is going to change when the biosimilars come out. Yeah, so Shruti, what are, what are your thoughts? What would... You know, you talked about the difference in ICERs versus qualities and how you have to have a certain ratio of that to, to be cost-effective. Do you think that these companies are looking at that and they're going to price their drug at some level that may make it, you know, more expensive than repackaged bevacizumab, but still have that ratio that you kind of described, which brings cost savings to the system? I think if I were in industry or working with this um, new bevacizumab that's coming out, that's something I'd strongly consider, right? Because you already have a paper that's backing you and showing that you're saving the system money while still making the company who's manufacturing this money as well. Um, the thing that I do worry about, like he said, is that once we start getting other drugs on the market or longer acting drugs or biosimilars, that convolutes this entire analysis. Um, and it's almost like starting back at zero again. So we just have to be careful applying that to the other drugs too. 
And that's a great transition into my next question. You know, by the heat, we're getting longer acting therapies on the market. We're in clinical trials for for medications that could last, you know, six months. We're talking about gene therapy. We're talking about lots of different things here. How do we reevaluate our treatment strategy as agents come out that have longer durability? Yeah, that's a great question. So there, there, you know, from my perspective, there are two main things that we're thinking about here. One of them that you mentioned, which is the duration of effect. And so you can potentially even get more towards uh, equity between these two medications in terms of the financial impact with medications that have a greater duration of action. But then you also consider treatment burden, which is different from even the duration. So um, getting 12 intravitreal injections a year and having 12 visits a year versus two to four versus maybe needing six and not having treatment in all of those. And so these are all kind of further analyses that we would hopefully be performing so we get a better idea of how this fits in our treatment paradigm. Perfect. And the last question I want to ask is, you know, protocol AC, this was all related to diabetic macular edema. Shruti, can we extrapolate any of these step therapy things to the other conditions that we use anti-VEGFs for, such as wet macular degeneration or renal vein occlusion? I mean, I think uh, policymakers and insurance companies might want us to. I think it's wise to retest this hypothesis with those diseases as well. Um, I think if I have a patient where I'm being forced uh, to use the bevacizumab and, and they're asking me for a flibercept, I do take comfort in the fact that I can point to this paper and say in a somewhat similar process, we've had good results. But I do think it'd be wise to look at each disease individually. Yeah, I agree. You know, we know that these are different disease processes. We know that in some cases, wet macular degeneration is just not as forgiving as diabetic macular edema. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 I think, as you said, it's good to have this data behind us. I think payers are definitely, they definitely have step therapy for the other conditions as well. Uh, but it does give you pause. You know, it's, it's always better when you have some research behind you and, and you feel pretty confident with that decision. Well, um, I want to thank both of my guests, um, Dr. Shruti Arpali and Dr. Vaidehi Dhania. Thank you so much for joining us um, for this episode of the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. And thank you to our audience for listening today. Um, stay tuned as we'll have more episodes coming out and have a great night.